right, we are recording Chandler. You from the I'm from the, I'm recording currently from the beautiful island of Nantucket. I was gonna say the golden island of Tan- Nantucket. Um, not really sure why it's golden, but it's I actually was quite green. Well, I wasn't sure if Nantucket was an island or not, so I'm glad to confirm that indeed it is. Indeed, it is an island. It is located. It's it's an island right next to Martha's Vineyard, which is also an island. These are things I didn't know. I thought they were all connected to larger bodies of land. Correct. I also I I thought assumed the same thing. So does this mean when people go to their ritzy places on Martha's Vineyard or in Nantucket, they have to reach that place by either ship or plane? Yeah, ferry or plane or plane. Did uh did you see who's also in? Wait, hold on. First of all, I want to ask you. Do you know what state Nantucket's in? Massachusetts. Okay, I wasn't sure if you were going to know that. It was a wild guess. So I'm I'm glad oh. I've seen enough, you know, Hollister, Abercrombie, maybe a little Brandy Melville shirts that yeah. say Nantucket, Massachusetts on them. Yeah. That's really where my ge- ge- my geographical education comes from brands targeted towards eighth graders. I mean, and that's what everybody is wearing here. It's actually really wild. Like everyone's either in like Doan, Love Shack Fancy, or like Brandy Melville. It's crazy. That's so funny. Yeah. It's really lovely. Um, just, just like a lot of people in one size fits all, basically only fits 18-year-olds clothing. Yeah, I mean, just basically my main takeaway from the fashion here is just that everyone is richer than me, like by like heaps. Right, right. They all can, they can, they all can afford to drop four hundred dollars on a dress that is actually just like barely even flattering and makes them look like I they mean, are one of Joseph Smith's wives. I've seen teen girls, like like throngs of teen girls in nicer clothes than I've ever owned. What a harsh reality to confront. I, I mean, that's the thing is like we would have loved to have grown up East Coast wealthy, private schools, boarding schools, you know, Prince William potentially at our schools. This didn't happen. This wasn't no. our reality. We were public school hoes. We were like – it's just interesting the difference between like, you know, Orange County wealth, which I wouldn't even say that we had like, you know, the package, the Orange County total picture of wealth. But like – Right. I mean, every single person here is rich. I mean, there was a baby who passed me yesterday in a gorgeous stroller and I'm like, that baby is richer than me. The baby has more net worth than you yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That and makes like, people live a much nicer life than you. There's so. just something about – people who are extremely wealthy in the way that they dress head to toe that just feels different. Like there's an air mm-hmm. of, of wealth in their, in their bracelets, in their makeup. Right. There's no skimping, you know, there's like a Cartier stack paired with an $18 Brandy Melville casual crop tee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a pair of $700 sneakers that, that are meant to look like they're extremely distressed. Right. I mean, we were we were seated next to a family at brunch yesterday who, you know, every single person was dressed impeccably. It was like a grandma and grandpa and then a, you know, mother and I would presume would be her husband, but they were seated on opposite ta- sides of the table and barely spoke mm-hmm. to each other. And then the kids were just like dressed impeccably. I mean, they were darling and they were playing with like these little horses on the table. I mean, I was, I'm just, it's the most amazing people watching of my entire life. Ugh, there's just something honestly about there's something about wealthy families that just makes my soul feel warm mm-hmm. and cozy. Like this family has an easy life. Right. This family, like they don't feel stressed. When the children start crying, the children are removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this reminds me of my one of my philosophies. Can I tell you one of my philosophies? Sure. I would like to go back to the days of governesses. Okay. 
Because for me, like if I was to have a, a large brood, I would love to have a, a, have it structured in a way where the children were brought to me in the mornings, freshly groomed, right. bathed, you know, bathed, fed. perfumed, perhaps fully rested, just a little gleam in their eyes. You know, they play at my feet as I sip tea and talk mm-hmm. about the day mm-hmm. with my fellow ladies. And then the second they're ornery or in some way displeasing, a very calmly and groomed other person slash woman mm-hmm. runs in to usher them out. They're extricated and, at, at the slightest, you know, discomfort. That's the kind of mothering I would like to see embrace. Is your fourth you know? wave of feminism that you're interested in, you know, championing? I, basically, I just think let's go back to the times of Downton Abbey. That would be my ideal, you know? Definitely. Anyway, just makes you – it just – when you don't, when you see a mother and she looks well rested and like she's not schlepping, it just makes you feel like. Mm. I mean, it, it was you feel good inside. It was truly a sight to see. I mean, it just there's just nothing quite like being rich. I don't think I've seen <laughs> a, an old car since I've been here. I haven't. I haven't. And the weather is also perfect. Okay, all the mm-hmm. all the rich all the rich notes about being in Nantucket are amazing, but the the general topography is stunning. Like we're at this cabin-esque like house that's all tucked away like there's there's not a house for like a while and I mean there's like a roof on the very top of the house that you can only get to by like a ladder and then you like look at the stars at night I mean it's just it's stunning right right it's like another ecosphere where everything is perfectly manicured it's really similar to like the vibe of uh the affair well, yeah, of course. I yeah. mean, that's it's like my one of my favorite yeah. vibes. Oh my gosh! Well, I mean, it's like it's like it's not like tro- it doesn't feel tropical. It feels like an East Coast island, which is so interesting. And the temperature is perfect. It's like not hot. It's just like mm-hmm. slightly windy. It's lovely. The thing, the thing about having a home there too that's super flex is that the weather's basically only good for three months out of the year. Otherwise, it's basically too cold. Like it's mm-hmm. just not warm. It's like snowy, I feel like, and just frigid. It's like more Maine vibes. I could be getting this totally wrong, but I do think that it's like a flex. Like, oh no, our vacation home is barely even usable, right? But it's worth more but than it's worth the, the whole time. A house you'll ever own. I'm gonna send you two photos right now. Are you ready? Yeah, please. Two photos to just kind of depict what type of life that I'm living. Maybe I'm gonna oh send gosh. you three. I really love this new reality for you. I know. Stop it. This is mm-hmm. gorgeous. So this is like – and I'm going to show you the rooftop that we're – Okay, this is a – you were complaining about the, the ticket cost of staying in this home. This is worth it, Chandler. Well, that's what's like – That's what – yeah. I wasn't like – and honestly, I wasn't – I was just not prepared, frankly, to spend a lot of money because I've spent a lot of money this summer. Now it's 100% worth it. I, I would have paid more, frankly. It's, it's so nice. It's actually sad that you don't have a decent camera to take pictures with. What? What do you mean? Like, like a you don't have DSLR? Like, no, like a film like a film camera could capture all of this so beautifully. Right. I should go pick it like a disposable. That would be pretty. But I like that picture I just sent you of Ben like working from the roof this morning. The house is just like it's stunning. And then we could just stunning. have ocean on all sides. Oh, well, you need to post more about this on Pop Apologist, you know? I know. Like, I should lifestyle porn out there. I, honestly, I should be posting more on Pop Apologist. I actually had to work a little bit this weekend. Which just kind of killed the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I can't talk about it. I'm honestly grieving. I just, I I made a huge mistake by not taking this entire week off. Really? I'm I'm paying for it. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm sorry. That's a huge, right. Also, that's but really not okay. I need to actually give my manager a shout out. I don't know if he's going to listen to this episode. My manager listens to the podcast somewhat regularly. He told me. I think I told Incredible. you this. Yeah, last week. But uh, just you know, you need to give JL a little shout out if you listen. If you don't listen, I would actually be grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, JL, thank you for listening and thank you for keeping Chandler employed. Truly yes. doing the Lord's work mm-hmm. because let's just say we're not we're not even. We're not even an inch down the road to getting this podcast to support this bitch. Right, so right. it's going to be – she needs that job for a long time. Potentially forever. Basically forever. Most likely. Yeah. Oh, it's so dark. Someone asked me the other day, they're like, so what's your goal with the podcast? I'm like, gosh, I don't even know anymore. I don't it doesn't survive. seem like we're getting there. I mean, I don't know. Make it another five to six years and then maybe see a dime. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of – we have to do this, Chandler. We have to have a moment of thirst in every episode because truly, we will not grow without it. So mm-hmm. I'm forcing this upon us. I know mm-hmm. you don't like to seem thirsty, but you guys, if you love Pop Apologists, if you like listening to two, you know, nouveau riche bitches talk about the life they'd like to have and aspire to, but don't currently live, if you like wasting your life listening to this podcast and you want it to continue, or please. or if you just think we're hot. Yeah, bitch, don't. No, that's not the case. That's not happening. I mean, that's seriously wishful thinking. I don't know what was in your breakfast this morning. Um, Chandler's on drugs. Um, but if you want this podcast to continue, please share it. Get us. We need more listeners. We literally need. We like. We need more listeners. That's really the name of the game. We need more people who listen to the podcast. So share it on your stories. Tell people to listen. Tell people you love it. Tell people it's the best thing that's ever happened to you. Tell people it saved your life. Lie if you have to. Right. It doesn't matter. I mean, honestly. Just share the pod. Share the pod. No one has stopped me in Nantucket and asked me if I'm Chandler from Pop Apologist, which I think is just showing how little we're growing. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's that. There's also the fact that we're just not really growing uh, anymore. So that's also – there's also just that when we look at the stats. So anyway, you guys, it's up to you. If you want us to stay on the air – Please, sh- please share. Um, I can just see, I can just hear people being like, um, I actually don't really care. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, speaking of work, yep. you and I both were very interested in following the Simone Biles story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we watched the documentary Athlete A. Correct, correct. How good was that documentary? It was insane so i Riveting. work on it was, yeah i work on obviously west coast hours on east coast time so i usually like the mornings are a little bit more free for me so i watched it one morning before work and i, I had a friend staying with me and both of us could not like he tried to do some work and then he just kept like coming back over to sit on the couch and watch it like it was so riveting and that's the thing, like, oh, a truly riveting documentary. It made me realize, like, wow, this has been sitting on Netflix this whole time. Like, it is captivating. I know. So good. Okay, so it tells the story of Larry Nasser, which obviously everyone knows the story, but I hadn't ever really done the research or heard about. So it's super, super fascinating. And I think, like, one of the things that's the most riveting for me is actually learning about, like, Olympics, like, basically yes. the bureaucracy and the institutions that the – the Olympic athletes essentially enrich. Like what I realized, I had this epiphany because we always think of Olympic athletes, I feel like in terms of like their glory, but really these athletes are just like transitory, temporary, Mm -hmm. disposable performers who are essentially replaced the second they, they stop 
performing mm-hmm. and creating results for the institution. And really the people who benefit, it seems like, are the lifelong coaches, the lifelong administrators and bureaucrats and executives of these institutions who are essentially right. enriched for life. Like it interviews all of these past performers, these, you know, like we only, most people, lay people, they only really hear about the gold medalist. Exactly. Seer- yeah, you don't become a household name unless you're like – Unless you are like, like a Simone Biles who is like consistently awarded and like, you know, or, or invents a new move or something like that. Like I had never heard Michael of half Phelps of these – Or Michael Phelps or Serena yeah. Williams. I'd never heard For, of half of these gymnasts. Olympic I gymnasts. Of, all, I, hadn't, I, I, heard, had not, I had not heard of any of them. And it was like – it was so interesting because you realize like, wow, these, these people, they sacrifice their entire use. They have a totally different childhood because they just train intensely, they damage their bodies. They just completely sacrifice themselves for this competition. They and pay this, to do this also. This career. Yeah, and then at the end of it, a lot of them like you're kind of like, man, it doesn't seem like they really like this set them up in any way for like a life of ease or like even financial success. It was no. actually very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just like straight up the like just the money side of things we aren't even getting into the abuse that that happens like this is just like the reality of the sport right exactly which i just thought was like you know the, I yeah. think the story of larry nasser's abuse has been well documented and i think that it doesn't bear repeating necessarily on this podcast yeah however i think that absolutely it's a story if you haven't haven't paid attention to you should watch this documentary because it's really fascinating and really horrible For but me- also just yeah. I was just going to say, so for me, a really interesting part of the entire documentary was learning more about the like history of gymnastics mm-hmm. and how it's it became it, it became this thing that was featuring very, very young girls. Right. Where it used to right. be more adults. And now adult women. Adult yeah, adult women. And now it's like teenage, if not like like, you know, prepubescent girls. Right, right. Or like and, and they're smaller and thirteen year olds. Right, right, exactly. And that, that was also shocking to me too, is there was such an, so like there was this, basically this sea change because the Russians started dominating gymnastics in the seventies and they had this extremely strict style Uh of training and their stars were extremely young, like 14, 15. And so the Americans learned like, okay, that's what's working. We're going to adopt that similar mentality. I mean, and then we literally had coaches from Russia. Right. Yeah, the top coaches from Russia, I think, were they hired by USA Gymnastics? I don't I think well, I think they used the word like defected. Like yeah, so I think they came over to the US. It just made this in, the intense change where it went from healthy adult women to these very young like, children, children essentially. Yeah. Children who are who have the weight of the nation on them and then are also abused. Like literally mm-hmm. the training environment is one of like talking negatively to them, verbal, total verbal abuse, encouraging eating disorders. Like the idea that you would have to be a physical athlete, but then you're also encouraged not to eat is just so incredibly, like it's just doesn't compute for me. I didn't realize that Simone Biles is also 4'8". Did you know that? Yeah. Well, apparently like the shorter you are, essentially the better as a gymnast because you can do more flips in the air. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that I just was like a brag. stalking like number to me. Yeah. 
I don't mean to brag, but I can do a round off. Can you do a round off? I cannot do a round off. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's a skill saved for the for the few, for the elite, if you will. And one of the things that <laughs> I've never actually I haven't seen you do a round off in a very long time. So I'd like to, you know, to make sure that's still do, up to date. I can do a repeat, absolutely, it's no problem. I will do I'll do it for the Instagram at some point. Maybe maybe in Europe. Who knows? It depends how turn I get. Anyway, I remember like my gymnastics days a tiny, tiny bit. And like so basically what's going on with some and I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that. But what's going on with Simone Biles now is everyone, you know, if you're not following the story, essentially, she's the premier athlete, the top athlete by a like by a huge margin. Like she's the best we've seen in a in I think 54 uh-huh. years. She was up for this Olympics getting an the all-around title. Like, I guess, being the best in every category for the second or third time. She's, like, phenomenal, once-in-a-century athlete, incredible. And her performance has kind of started to deteriorate in the finals and leading up to the events. And she'd had a few missteps. And then finally, in in the finals for Tokyo, she, like, stepped off the mat, which is, like, or she fell did she fell off the beam or step off the I think she stepped off the mat in the finals. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. It was a it was a foot off the spot. And anyway, this this oh my gosh, anyone who's like familiar with gymnastics is just like Let's let's make sure we have face. that right really quick. I'll just look it up really quick. Okay. Chandler's gonna fact check. So basically, um, she also simplified in air the move she was going to do. So she was gonna do some like very complex thing, and then in mid-air, she changed what she was gonna do and simplified it. And one of the things they said is basically like sometimes gymnasts, they get what are called the twisties, which is you you basically stop being able to fully have control and awareness of where your body is in space. And and I remember like gymnast I remember doing gymnastics and like doing back handsprings and doing that stuff. And I and I don't want to compare my 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 extremely juvenile, like kindergarten level gymnastics to Simone Biles. But I think we all instinctively understand that your body, when it's doing like these extremely fast movements, mm-hmm. it has to be completely in sync with your mind. And right. there's no there's no moment where you can second guess. Like your mind and your body have to be working completely yep. in fluid motion and you have to be 100% confident. And the second you second guess – it's this that's when there can be huge problems right. and so anyway she pulled out it's and just like it's a level like of took- pre- it's a it's a level of precision that just requires that type of mind body you know syncness mastery if you will. yeah yeah not even not even mastery you're right it's like being in sync mm-hmm. and the second you feel out of sync that's when your life is literally in danger because of the very high stakes physical danger of the sport anyway everyone's talking about how great it is that she you know, pulled out due to her mental health. And I totally agree. Like on this podcast, work soft. I think we're, to- you and I are totally against the mentality I mean, that you just have to go hard, be number one. This isn't, right. This empire. isn't even working soft. This is just saying no to, you know, to pushing yourself beyond what you're capable of. And, oh, it's, and totally she's already agree. proven what she's capable of. And it's far more than anyone else. I just, I love all the memes of just like, you know, for lack of, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a little rude right now, but just like white guys like sitting at home being like, oh, I can't believe she pulled out of the finals. Like, you know, gymnasts are supposed to be like just saying all that stuff. And I know I saw a tweet of someone who was like, oh, so you're telling me that you don't want to do it because you don't feel good. It was like so horrible. 
Yeah, even though she's like the one of the most awarded gymnastics Olympians like of all time. Like okay. Right. Right. Which is and and to that point, I'm not saying that Simone Piles in any way has worked soft or has adopted our right. work soft mentality. I'm just saying there's a spirit there of knowing your limits as a human being. Which is why I might add that working soft is a great mentality because it is all about, like you say, knowing your limits and not pushing yourself farther than you can, you know, honestly go. And I think that's it's, extremely healthy. I think you and I are championing mental health with our work soft mentality. Here's the thing. In life, unless you're going to be an Olympian, 20% effort yields 80% of the results. That's really what it is. But you have to put forth 80% to 100% effort to yield that top, top score. And most of the time, it's not even necessary. I, I completely agree. And I just think it's amazing and it's commendable. And I don't think we should be pushing people to do that crazy of things. And people should be listening to their bodies and to their minds. And there should just be, be more normalization around it because she's done enough, everybody. Okay. You've seen enough. Yeah. And like, of course, it's a mental health thing, but it's also a, it's a physical health thing. It's like oh, yeah. knowing, hey, and I like I honestly do that all the time. Like I'll be like, oh sorry, I'm not gonna do some crazy sport or some like well, I'm not even being asked to do crazy sports. Let's just fact check that. <laughs> I feel no like one's asking you to be on the out. soccer team, okay? <laughs> I feel I feel like I opt out of dangerous situations daily. Right. Maybe that's totally an illusion. It's about having the confidence in yourself and valuing yourself mm-hmm. over being a sacrificial lamb for other people. I completely agree. I'm so glad, Lauren, that you're saying no to dangerous situations every single day. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Your bravery is amazing. I love having exaggeration. No, I love it. I'm here for it. I also say no to dangerous situations all the time. I just want to add that, the, yeah, the documentary is really great. It doesn't actually really focus that much on Simone. I do think it was really, I read something about how it was really important for her to even participate in the 2021 Olympics because just to put pressure on USA Gymnastics to do better and to, you know, make reparations for the past, which I think is just super powerful. Like she's made this incredible, like this, this huge statement. And I didn't honestly understand that she was one of Larry Nassier's victims until the documentary. I didn't know that for some reason. Um, I didn't know it either. Honestly, I didn't know who she was until like a week ago, until all yeah. this stuff came we, out. We're not so sporty. I, we're not sporty people. I, I know it because I feel like I've done advertising stuff around her and mm. she's like a person in like that world that she's like, a, you know, a sponsor or whatever. But yeah, uh, she's incredible. And anyway, so all that is to say the documentary is really excellent. It's pretty dark. So like, bu- you know, buckle up. It's not easy to watch, but it really makes you think like at least it made me think that we need to rethink some of these institutions because they just are filled with corrupt people who do not protect children at all. Right. And I think one of the most arresting scenes of the whole documentary is when Carrie Strug in the 1996 Olympics, she lands incorrectly and injures herself like pretty badly Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on her first try and then her coach is like go and like there's there's not even the the choice the option that she wouldn't do her second try even though she's clearly injured so she does her second try she nails it she wins the gold but literally she lands basically on one foot and then is so hurt from this that she crawls away from like the (sighs) floor the mat like you watch this like child like just crawling from the mat and you watch as everyone is so happy and it's actually like so deranged and it makes you like rethink like 
like I get that the Olympics are so great. You're watching like human excellence, people pushing the frontiers of what the human body can do, yada yada yada. But like also, like also, why in terms of like if it's costing why? you your body exactly? Why is the is question? It's like literally, why? <laughs> Some people are just really passionate about their sports. Like I don't know what passion is at all, but. Some people are just really passionate about it. And, you know, it, it is a beautiful thing to see people accomplish huge moments like that. But yet again, it also begs the question, why? At, <laughs> At what cost? Athletic athletic achievements, I understand the I understand the objective value of them in a theoretical way. I understand the theory. Sure. In reality though, I just think about like I've just like never wanted anything that much. Ever. Like, does it, e- it even matter if you can propel your body through a body of water, if you can surf a big wave, if you can do any of this shit? Like, really? It's, if it's going to cost your physical health, if it's going to cost you hours of happiness and leisure. Right. If you're considering- if you're going to have to wear a brace band, or go into a cast, no, mm-hmm, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know what I've won the Olympics of, Chandler? Not giving a lady single? of leisure. Not giving uh-huh. a single fuck. Uh-huh. Being a lady of leisure, enjoying my life, not caring what people think. These are other – there are other Olympics that I feel like we are not are necessarily – Unsung. Un- unheroed. Yes. Uncelebrated. Unsung heroes. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so you guys, if you're not an Olympic medalist, which I'm sure you're I- on listening to this podcast is – I would just you frankly, are an Olympian in another way. You are. I mean, I would like a, a gold medal for having a weak will to live. <laughs> an exceptionally Absolutely. weak will to live. For a gold medal for living in spite of your weak will. Living and championing living and all. moving forward and trying and getting a job. Yeah. Holding down that job. Holding down that job, showing up every day. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. Like everyday people like us, total commoners, just getting through the day is it a feat that, if assessed correctly, should be judged as heroic? I'm about to sing the national anthem. Are you crying? I'm crying. Okay, great. Wow. I've lit um, a torch here in Nantucket yeah. for you. <laughs> I'm about to go run around the house with it. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Well, you know, Courtney is an Olympian of style. Let's put it, you know? Yes. What? Where's my, what's my accolade? Being she. Olympian of. You're, you are an Olympian of, of truly of being like a great wonderful friend oh, who people Olympian just adore. friendship you're oh an Olympian beautiful. friendship I have the yeah. chills I have the chills right are you expecting one I mean I just already I give myself so many accolades as right. I just move let's leave it yeah life. and you already can you do can a just, round off so I feel like you don't need both you don't need to have you know just get too many compliments as it is yeah. so let's just yeah. hold off there okay 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 today on the pod you guys we have my dear friend Sarah she is the founder of Casita de Luz, a direct-to-consumer fine jewelry brand based out of LA. Chandler, this was such a fun conversation. She's amazing. I want all of her jewelry. Yes, I loved hearing all of her takes. And I, I don't know, it opened up my mind to the jewelry world in a way that hadn't before. Yeah, she gives like all these cool behind-the-scenes info. Some of it like true hacks for how you can get great fine jewelry at a fraction of the price so anyway she's a wealth of knowledge so it was super fun to chat with her about all the brands we love mm-hmm. and what's worth it what's not right. like what's trending what to invest in what not to it was a really fun conversation so i hope you all love it and we will see you either next week or on friday if you're a patreon and if you're not on patreon 
look in the mirror and ask yourself what you're doing with your life. Take a good, hard look in the mirror. Ask yourself why you're not spending $8 a month to hear more of us. <laughs> or $4.99 to keep the pot alive. Right. Four ninety. let me just say. Yeah, to just say you're on the Patreon, but you don't have to listen. The, the people who – the benevolent souls who are just paying monthly just to show their support, they're like, I've heard enough, but I think these girls could use five bucks. Right. Those those are Olympians in their own ways as well. Mm-hmm. Olympians of compassion. Generosity. And charity. And friendship. Okay. Okay. Love you, sis. Love you. Enjoy the interview, guys. Bye. All right, time to take a moment and talk about one of our lovely sponsors, Spade and Sparrows. You know pop apologists love Spade and Sparrows, and there's quite a bit to adore about each of their four varietals. Each are delicious in their own way. The Spade and Sparrows lineup really reminds me of the original Housewives. They're unique and have also aged quite well. I'm looking at you, Luan de Lesseps. My current favorite pairing is the Spade and Sparrows Rosé and a new episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. You just couldn't ask for a more delicious night than those two things. Spade and Sparrows was created by Caitlin Bristow. She's the Bachelor Nation star and fellow podcaster. This wine was made for women by women, and you can tell. So basically, it's a wine made for pop apologists. Spade and Sparrows is available in select liquor stores across Canada, as well as select Walmarts in California. It's also available online at spadeandsparrows.com. Enter code POP15 at checkout to receive 15% off your first purchase. Well, 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 we are joined today by one of seriously my BFFs in Puerto Rico. <laughs> I was so thrilled to discover that Sara is here, uh, or that Sara is frequently here. We are joined by Sara Vafi. I'm just honestly so thrilled that Lauren has friends. I didn't know that <laughs> Lauren had any friends. I thought that the people I went on this boat day with were hired actors. So, I mean, it, maybe you You're are a hired funny. actor. <laughs> But, you know, I'm just if, – if you're real, I'm really thrilled that Lauren has some friends Lauren is very good at organizing boats. That is her, one of her strong suits. So yes. Don't, um, oh, yes. don't underestimate her. <laughs> I will literally do anything. I will do anything for a boat day. Like, for a boat day. I'm such a whore for a boat day, That's honestly. It's so embarrassing. Um, Love it. Anyways, Sara <laughs> is the founder of Casita de Luz a direct-to-consumer fine jewelry brand based in Los Angeles. Sara, thank you so much for coming on the pod, and thank you so much for being my friend. As Chandler said, I don't have many. Oh, my God. I I would love to be your – I mean, I love being your friend, um, and I'm so excited to be on the podcast with you guys. Um, this is my first time on a podcast, so I don't really – I'm a little nervous, to be honest, but the two of you are very um, welcoming and – I'm excited. Oh, good. Thank you so much. Well, we're so happy to have you. Sara, we were initially connected because I feel like we liked a lot of the same brands. Like we were kind of like following similar brands and kind of had similar taste in certain things um, when it came to clothes and jewelry. So I'd love to know first, you you before you started, or did you start Casita de Luz while you were, were still working at Outdoor Voices? Um, I launched it as something else when I was at OV. Um, so I just like started an Instagram. It had a different name. I just like started selling stuff on Instagram. Um, 
because people kept asking me like, where'd you get this? Where'd you get that? And I'm like, I don't want to reveal my sources because um, I spent a lot of time in downtown LA in college and after college, I would literally spend all my internship money and make myself jewelry. Um, so I really? met like different, yeah, that's, that's how I, I mean, the real reason I got into jewelry was because my mom, um, gave me a lot, gave me and my sister a lot of her pass down jewelry that my grandma bought for her. Um, so it kind of just sparked this interest in something that's so beautiful that'll last forever. And I feel like it's super timeless most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was always drawn to like purchasing jewelry over other accessories like purses or shoes or sunglasses, which I can't say now because I love to buy all those things now. Um, (laughs) but that's what initially drew my interest. Um, and the stuff that my mom gave me, it's, it's crazy that she was given, it was given to her like, uh, when she was like, I don't know, 16 and it's lasted this long and I still wear it Mm -hmm. to this day. Um, so Mm -hmm. I've always been interested in jewelry. Um, I took entrepreneurship classes in college. I spent all my internship money on making things. I learned a lot of lessons. Like I met different manufacturers who sometimes they were like, no, you need a five piece minimum or like a certain uh, dollar amount minimum. Like I won't make you this. Or I found people who would make me something just like one off. Um, Mm -hmm. so I started making myself stuff in college and then naturally my sister and my mom wanted it also. So I would make it for them. And then other people started asking me and I would just kind of do it like one off. I never, it was always in the back of my mind, but I pursued like the normal, um, the normal, uh, what's it called? Expectation after college is like getting a full-time job nine to five. And I would still make jewelry. And when I lived, um, by downtown LA, I would spend so much time there. It was kind of dangerous <laughs> with how much money I would spend on jewelry. And I still wear a lot of the stuff that I made, what was it, to, in 2016. So um, jewelry is super timeless. Um, but I digress. So going back to Casita de Luz. So I launched an Instagram because so many people were asking me um, because at Outdoor Voices, I would manage events. So I'd be wearing my jewelry with the workout clothes. And then people I met at these events would just like constantly ask me like, where'd you get that? Like, where can I get this? And then it got to the point where I was like, okay, maybe I should just make an Instagram. And that way people can like message me or ask me on there. Um, mm-hmm. so I did that and I didn't know what I was doing. Cause I was like, do I want to do it where I have one, item and like once someone buys it that's it or do I want to have like a consistent stock so I was just like kind of playing around with it um Mm -hmm. and then fast forward to like the pandemic um I lost I was unemployed for a bit and I was like okay I should I should do this full time while I look for a job uh because I did also didn't know what I was doing last year was such a blur um So I like got all my business affairs. I like opened, like I I did all the, everything by the book. Um, And then I decided to change the name to Casita de Luz. I don't know how I came up with this name. Um, I think I wanted to do a Spanish name because I just love speaking Spanish. And I just think, um, I love the word Casita. I just think like a little house is just, it's just a cute name. I don't know. 
um, and loses light. So like every time you're wearing jewelry, you're kind of like shining in the light. It's kind of dumb, but it works. I love and that. And it was an, it was so an open cute. name. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I did that and I just launched an Instagram. So I was just selling on Instagram for a while, which was very interesting. I didn't know people actually bought off Instagram, but I did it. Um, right. And then it was getting to the point where I was like, okay, I don't want to be on my phone all day. I have to start a website. So I started building a website and then I was doing some research and I was like, why don't I just open an Etsy page before I launch a website just to test the market? And it was actually one of the best decisions I've ever made because first of all, you gain all of Etsy's audience because there's like people out there who only shop on Etsy it's I don't right. I, I didn't know this, but this is a thing. Um, and then jewelry is very prevalent on Etsy, whether it's real gold or fake gold or artisan like craft made jewelry, which um, is very popular. And then third, I can see what sells and what doesn't sell. And there's like no overhead cost of like making my website. I just want honestly, it was just like it's been a it's been a constant test seeing what works and doesn't work and what fails and what what has been successful. Um, Mm -hmm. and Etsy's interface is actually incredible. Like their seller interface is very straightforward, very helpful. Um, I, I think that, um, it was one of the best decisions I've made, but I do want to still make a website that's like on my trajectory. Yeah. Well, I think, um, it's funny. I actually have a friend who started a business, you know, a little bit before the pandemic hit, but- a similar experience on Etsy where like they started the Etsy shop and then the Etsy shop was like the main revenue driver beyond their website. Like because really there's just so many users in that ecosystem. So like tapping into people that are already there is super powerful. It's been such a great learning process. I think the next thing I really want and I've been like saving up for is um, better product photography. Uh, it's really like you're selling a product through a photo and I don't have the best photos. I will admit to that. Um, so that's like next on my list. I think that's even before a website. I don't know, but Etsy is a great place. If you want to start a jewelry brand to test the market, that is my, uh, biggest advice to anyone who like wants to sell jewelry. So when I first met you, I noticed your jewelry right away and you it, you definitely have like a very distinct, really beautiful style. And honestly, you like got me, I feel like you got me into jewelry. Like I kind of like- <laughs> I have that effect on people and a lot of boyfriends are not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> truly though, truly like seeing Sara and all of like all of your, uh, all of your jewelry, like it fully was like, oh my gosh, I want to look just as fabulously adorned. There's really no other way of putting it. Um, So it's so funny. And I was talking with Chandler on our Patreon last week, and we were talking about like things we want to buy coming up. And Mm. I feel like when it comes to like buying like more higher end pieces, you should start with jewelry because A, you wear it every day. Mm -hmm. And B, it's not like a handbag or a pair of sh- great shoes that's going to eventually wear and tear. Like mm-hmm, most fine no, jewelry, exactly. like you said, you can give it to your grandchildren someday, which is just like there really is no better investment. Totally. And honestly, most jewelry is repairable. So like let's say a diamond pops out or like you bend your ring, like they're all – you're. it's totally easy to fix those things. And I think a lot of people don't know that. 
And I think a lot, a lot of issues with jewelry is um, people are just not educated. Right, right. So that's really what we wanted to chat about with you on the pod because totally. I feel like it's all a mystery to me. Like I'm looking at like jewelry online and really I have no idea what's a good price and what is just like a really well-branded brand essentially with good photographs. Like it's so funny. I was looking at an Anita Co. necklace this morning mm-hmm. and it's so pretty. It's it's a it's Lariat beautiful. necklace. I'm not yes. sure if it's like I'm not sure if it's that's how you pronounce it, but I think it's, it's a lariat. lariat. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Lariat, same thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, I'm gonna send you a link right now, actually. But anyway, it's like a slim gold chain, and then it has a emerald diamond and a marquee diamond. One is or a baguette, like a baguette diamond. One's a, a quarter of a carat. One's a third of a carat. So right. these are small diamonds, and then the the gold chain is extremely thin. And it's $5,700. And I just like know instinctually that this is like a crazy markup. However, maybe I'm wrong. So I'm like so curious, like what brands you like, basically what brands you think actually sell at like really good prices? Like how do we determine what's a good price? I'm sending you this link right now. We just need like you to guide us through this. (laughs) So, so, um, I think, you know how you mentioned like, oh, I, um, I was wearing jewelry and it made you want to wear jewelry. I think what makes this will all tie together. What makes jewelry so fun is that it can really, um, you can like really bring out your personality with jewelry. Like everyone shops at Zara, everyone shops at mango, like wherever, like these like direct to consumer fast fashion brands. But, um, the best way to like really, show your personality, I think is through jewelry, whether that's fine jewelry or costume jewelry. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's what drew me to it. And then, um, the best thing about jewelry, like I love, I, I would love people to come shop everything I sell, but I think the best part about jewelry is mixing from different brands. Um, that's Mm -hmm. how you really make your collection unique and different. Like, buying everything from Missouri is not fun, but like buying one thing from Missouri is fun. And then one thing from Vry is really fun. Just like mixing it up is, is what makes your, um, collection unique and like mixing and matching stuff. So that's, that's what's, um, that's, what's great. And the jewelry market is extremely saturated. Like no one's really reinventing the wheel. Like, let's be honest. Like you can find a similar pair of earrings across multiple brands. They'll just tweak it in a in a minor mm-hmm. way. So it's like their own, but truly like right. everything's the same. Like if you really look at everything, you're like, Oh, this is really similar to this. This is really similar to that. So like, I'm not reinventing the wheel and I'm very aware of that. So I think what, what I excel at is styling it and putting it together where it makes people want to buy it. So I think that is a big part of jewelry brands and what makes things worth it or not worth it. But as you're shopping across these various brands, you know, you obviously want to make sure you're getting a good deal and you're paying an appropriate price. So like, I'm super curious if you, if you find this link I sent you, you know, like if you're just looking at the materials, are you, it's a beautiful necklace. Do you think that this is appropriately priced? It's appropriately priced for her market. So that's, that's the thing is like, each brand is has their has their own um audience and their own market like i can't afford this 
$5,700 necklace, but there's definitely somewhere, someone out there who can. Like there's another brand called um, Shea Jewelry. They make beautiful stuff um, if you want to look it up. It's also mm-hmm. in the higher price range, but you know, there's, mm-hmm. it's, it's for their audience. Like their audience can afford this stuff. Um, and I'm assuming they're, they're using like high quality diamonds with good cut, good clarity. Um, they're using, I mean, Anita's using 18 karat and 14 karat gold is the standard in the U S so she's using a higher okay. carat already. Um, okay. so, so 14 karat is standard in the U S I think like in parts of Europe, nine carat is standard. Um, okay. And then in the U.S., I think ten carat is also acceptable. Um, in like the Middle East, it's like eighteen carat and above. So gotcha. It just really depends. So that's one thing people don't know is they don't understand like the difference in carats. Um, so things are. De- I mean. These people are running a business, you know, like they, they have to meet margins and clearly they're marketing to an audience that they know will pay for this. I personally wouldn't pay this much for this necklace or these rings listed on these websites. Um, Mm -hmm. So when I'm looking at jewelry, I'm seeing what it's made of. Is it made with diamonds or is it made with like, um, a lot of times they use like champagne diamonds, which are like because the diamond pave diamonds are so small, you can't really see the cut or the clarity. So they'll just use champagne diamonds, which are actually lower quality and they don't sparkle as much over time. So right. you just have to pay, you just have to read the descriptions. So obviously Sheena, like this company, they understand their market. They're marketing towards people who are spending, you know, in the thousands yeah. slash tens of thousands on jewelry, which absolutely that market is big and exists. But like for the for the raw materials, if this was on Majuri, which is targeted towards you know a younger demographic, or not necessarily even younger, just a, well definitely actually younger, um, definitely but younger. a demographic that isn't spending that much, I think. Like the I mean, it would these be a raw fraction of the cost, right? And it's the same necklace. Yeah, but like, that, I'm, that's that's what I'm telling you is like, no one's reinventing the wheel. Like you could take this to your jeweler who made your engagement ring and be like, make me this. And he can, that's the crazy. And he can for a fraction of the cost. Totally. But people don't have jewelers. People don't know these things. So it's just like, they don't know. So that's education is like the biggest part of it. I mean, that's what I did with my engagement ring, actually, as I went to Marc Brumond and I found what I mm-hmm. wanted and then I took it to a jeweler. I took the photos to a jeweler and had them remake it and they set my engagement ring for a fraction of the cost that well, Marc Brumond was selling it. Because you're going directly to the source. Like right. the other brand is going to use a jeweler to make that ring and they have to pay the jeweler and then they have to meet their margin and then... Right. Like they have more more things to meet. Whereas if you go straight to the jeweler, um, you are getting a better price. Right. Okay. That's that's I think such a golden tip that people don't realize. Um yeah. so thank you but so the, much for, for sharing that. Of course, but the the other issue is is like people don't know jewelers. Like how how did you find your jeweler? I think I was just looking up like engagement ring companies and brands and got it and jewelers essentially. Yeah. So 
you can really find a jeweler anywhere and they could truly make you things at a fraction of the cost. But that's for, that's, I know that's for like solid gold. I don't know. I don't really know much about like gold plated costume jewelry and how those things work. Like a lot of jewelers aren't um, skilled in gold plating. Like that's its own thing. So I don't know much about that. And then like gold vermeil is its own thing also. Well, and okay, so that's that's my next question is um, when it comes to gold plated and gold vermeil, I don't have any pieces that are like that because I've always been afraid that they would just wear really poorly um, and maybe look cheap in person. So what is your opinion of gold vermeil and gold plated? So I don't have much plated jewelry. I do have some plated jewelry, like costume jewelry that I'll wear on like a special occasion or with like a specific outfit, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't be something I would necessarily wear every day. Um, That's a personal preference because I have super sensitive skin. So sometimes plated stuff, whatever it's mixed with, it can irritate my skin, especially like rings or bracelets or even necklaces. Um, and I learned that at a young age and even earrings. Um, I can't really wear, like I'll wear costume jewelry earrings for like a dinner out or like a wedding or something that's like, you know, it would be so expensive if it was real gold, but it's just for a night or an evening or a day or whatever. Right. And my ears do hurt at the end of the day. So I'm just sensitive to it. But then there's people who like the pH of their skin, it doesn't tarnish or do anything to gold-plated jewelry or vermeil. So it's like really a chemistry thing. It's kind of insane. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of, I have a lot of friends who wear gold-filled or gold gold-filled is better than gold-plated. So if you had to pick between the two, go with gold-filled. Um mm-hmm. and then if you had to even go better than that, it's gold, it's vermeil. So that's kind of the order it goes in is plated is the worst, then filled is the best. And then vermeil is, um, it's like a thicker layer of gold. So it's way more durable. So here's my like novice question. If I'm, you know, if I'm not buying a piece, a pair of hoops from H&M, but I'm going to, you know, level up a little bit and buy them from like Missouri or some, or somewhere like that, like, is that gold plated or is that vermeil? Like I don't so even I think, know because those don't really tarnish as well. So, but they're like Missouri, I know they're not as expensive as they can be. Sorry. No, no, no. You're no, you're good. Um, Missouri, I think you can shop by material. So like you can get ah. fourteen karat gold hoops, or you can get gold vermeil, or you could do sterling silver. Um, I don't even think they offer plated stuff. Okay. Let's okay. See. Yeah, they only do solid gold, silver, titanium for men or women. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend going and buying jewelry from like H and M or like other mm-hmm. stores because it's just you know it's fast fashion, and I just think that stuff it it'll just tarnish like if you sweat or it's just like you right. Get it wet, I mean, it's like gone. Yeah, the other day I like lost a pair of hoops and I was like going out for a day with my friends. So I just like quickly ducked into H&M to buy some. And even the gold, like I had I had like a hoop from Gorgiana or somewhere that like and was in one of my piercings and like the gold is so bad looking and so poor. Like it didn't yeah. even match. Uh, so just, yeah, even from like an aesthetic viewpoint, it's just not that great. 
No, and gold hoops, I think, are something that every girl should invest in. They literally don't never go out of style, ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. Like, they never, ever go out of style. Well, okay, this is actually – this is a funny story. Um, Chandler was talking with her roommates, and they were kind of, like, talking about potential engagement rings mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. would want. Chandler, do you yes. want to tell this story? Yeah, so we were just, like, chatting about engagement rings, chatting about our, like, styles or what we would want. Fun. And we – yeah, super fun, you know, gal talk. Uh, and we – it was just, like, the most polarizing debate because they were, like – I mean, I said I would like a gold engagement ring. Okay. And they were like, absolutely not. Like, you need a platinum gold. You need, like, uh, no. And I was like, I don't really want, like, I called it silver for lack of a better term. I know it's technically platinum. But I was like, no, like, I, I feel like gold is is a timeless color. Like yellow gold. It, yellow, oh, yeah. Sorry. Yellow gold. Yellow gold is like a timeless color because I do feel like gold hoops and things like that never go out of style. But what's funny is that our mom actually got a yellow gold engagement ring and then she got it, like, dipped in, like, platinum gold um really because because she thought it like gold went out of style but i would love to hear your viewpoint on like do you feel like people want more um platinum gold engagement rings or yellow gold ones or like just you know that type of jewelry or just jewelry in general yeah um so i think yellow gold i think yellow gold is having its moment um I think maybe white gold used to be more prevalent mm-hmm. and more sought after. Um, but yellow gold, I think it picked back up because I, I think, quote me if, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure yellow gold um, became more popular because of Carrie Bradshaw's yellow gold necklace and Sex in the City. Oh, I'm I, pretty I sure. don't know that. Okay. Oh, I, I don't even I love know. Sex in the yeah. City, but I didn't realize that. That's amazing. She she wears that gold necklace that says Carrie. I don't think she's wearing it in the beginning. Yes, of this, in yes. The no, I love that necklace. I even yeah, got one so, that says Chan like forever ago. I really I think that, she like, revived. Type. I yeah. think she revived yellow gold. Um, yeah, I totally buy that. So, platinum is an interesting metal. Platinum used to be very popular in the eighties. Um, the issue I have with platinum is that it's very soft, so it can bend easily. So if you're the type of gal who wants to wear your jewelry like 24-7, workouts, swimming, like grocery shopping, yoga, like whatever, platinum is is like, a, I don't know, it's kind of like, it's really preference. I wouldn't yeah. pick it because it's just a softer metal. I would, if you had to go with that look, I would do white gold. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you could okay. do 14 karat white gold or 18 karat white gold. Um, and the higher carat you go, the richer col- the color it is. So 10 carat hoops look pretty similar to 14 carat hoops. But if you were to put like 18 carat hoops next to 14 carat hoops, you could definitely see the co- difference in the oh, color. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's so, amazing. Sometimes I feel like I see yellow gold and it looks so like yellow, like not in a good way. And then there's – and then obviously also yellow gold and it looks – golden and rich and like warm and pretty and I'm I'm so curious maybe the what I'm referring to is just like really poor quality and not even real gold I don't know but um but is it basically like the the just the higher the carrot the better and richer the color yeah but sometimes I know what you're talking about when it looks like uber yellow like like almost greenish yeah Yeah, so so 14 karat yellow gold is it's a mixture of 
pure gold, copper, and nickel. So I think it's really just the composition of how that piece of jewelry was made, whether they're using like a lot more of one element than the other. Um, but 18 karat gold shouldn't look like that gross yellow gold color. It's actually a really beautiful, I think, I think 18 karat gold is an incredible color of gold. And I think if you go higher, it gets a little too yellowy. Um, Oh, gotcha. Okay. And then 10 karat, honestly, I can't really tell the difference between 10 karat and 14 karat gold. So if there's someone out there on your pod, who's trying to decide to buy 10 karat or 14 karat hoops, just go with the 10 karat. They're cheaper and no one will ever know and they won't um, irritate you or tarnish or change color. So, so funny. I just never knew the difference between the, between all three. Like I never, I never knew the difference between 14 and 18 and 10. So this is super valuable. I thought like the word carrot was just like in relation to diamond size before like 10 minutes ago. (laughs) So carrot with a K is the, is for the gold. And then carrot with a C is like how the size of a diamond or a stone. I didn't even know there was two different spellings. Okay, move. I'm like just they'll learning say like so they'll much. say like two CT, like two carat, and then they'll okay. say fourteen carat, like with a K gold. Okay, wow. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's super interesting. Um, I think ten carat is total. I have some ten carat jewelry, and I honestly love it. So I mix it in with all my other fourteen carat and eighteen carat gold. Okay, so when you're when you're shopping though, like across these websites, give us your top line thoughts on like the most popular millennial targeted, you know, um, direct to consumer fine jewelry brands. Like, which ones do you love? Which ones do you think are a little overpriced? Um, because okay, so I'm just gonna preempt this. I did get like a bunch of rings at Christmas time from um from Missouri and I showed them to my sisters and they all said they looked super cheap which like I was disappointed about but I even got this like this snake one and it was hollowed out inside and it just felt cheap on my finger like I could I it just it just felt it just didn't feel nice so I'm curious as to your thoughts on like on these different brands maybe I'm just like choosing from the least priced among amongst their inventory um, and they need to choose higher quality, but just curious what you think. So what was the material? Was it, was it vermeil? Was it um, gold filled? Was it solid gold? Okay. Let me look. I'd have to look up my order, um, which I can do, but I don't remember off the top of my head, but I know like, I know for a fact it was all real. Like it was all, Let's see. You could wear it twenty four seven. Yeah, totally. I I thought they I thought they only sold though like real stuff you could wear twenty four seven. No, so if you go on their website, you could shop by material. So you'll see like okay. silver, vermeil, recycled gold, yellow gold. Um, so I think that's what gotcha. people don't realize is that um you need to pay attention with what it's made like the first thing i do if i see a piece of jewelry i like is literally go drop down on the details and see what it's made of or materials right that's immediately the first thing i do and if it's not good quality i'm like okay i'm not gonna buy this unless it's like super costumey and i want to wear it for like a wedding or a special event that it's i'm literally gonna wear it for like five hours you know like, right, I have a couple totally. cool cocktail rings that I got from, like, 
random boutiques, like if I was traveling that I wear for special occasions, but because I'm not like wearing them every day, they're totally fine. So if Um, I was was looking at brands, like Missouri is a great brand. I mean, they're doing an incredible job. They exploded. I mean, they have storefronts, like they were based in Canada and now they're all over. Like it's, it's kind of crazy. And they, they have this crazy marketing power and they take great, great product photography and their gifting program is also insane. Like they have so much UGC. It's, it's kind of wild. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of the UGC is, is their cheaper stuff that they gift. Just a fun fact. Like they'll gift a lot of vermeil and silver over solid gold, but they do gift solid gotcha. gold. Um, so like they'll you know, tag okay, what so- like an influencer is wearing and then I'll click into it and it's like a vermeil ring. And I'm like, I don't really want to buy a vermeil ring. Like I'd rather spend a little bit right. more and get a solid gold ring. Well, I think what's – so what's tricky is like, okay, so I just looked at my order and everything I got was solid gold. But like, this, for example, the snake ring I got, it was hollowed out on the inside. So I could feel like the – it was almost like – it felt kind of sharp on my finger because I could feel, feel where like the – I don't know if this makes sense, but like it was kind of like sharp where they had hollowed it out on each side. Yeah. Um, and so – and so I guess I don't know. I I, I guess I don't really so know where it's I'm going. Ho- with this. It's hollow to keep the price down because if that was solid, it would be way more expensive because they're they're pricing it based off of the weight of gold that's used. That's part of the gotcha. That's part of like the pricing formula is like the weight, how much gold you're using. Are you using stones? Um, the labor, the design, the CAD, like everything. There's all these steps. Um, honestly, getting a rendering or like a 3d wax or mold of the jewelry is so much more expensive like I had this necklace made um I purchased this necklace a long time ago I honestly don't remember where I got it from it was like this uh, I sell it on my shop right now but um the original one I had I purchased and I tried to find it again and none of my wholesale vendors had it so I took it to my jeweler who i I've been working with him forever, like for over five, six years. He's like my go-to guy. I trust him like okay. completely. Um, he's like an old man. I love him. Um, <laughs> we're like on a texting basis. Like I'll text him all the time. I pretty much annoy him. Uh, but I took it to him. So I was like, funny. can you make me this necklace? Like I want to sell it. And he was like, yeah, but you have to buy 10 of them in order to eat the cost of the the mold that I have to make to make it. So like that's what's really expensive. Yeah. So I had to, I was sitting, you have to sit on some inventory to get a mold or else you end up paying a lot more for like that wax or the cat or whatever. Um, So that's like a really expensive part of jewelry is if you want to make something custom, it, it gets, it gets expensive as like a, for, for me to sell. So, so, that, so as a consumer, then it's probably not going to work to take just a picture of something and have your jeweler jeweler make it because they no, have no, no, to no, no. create. No, no, no. Someone could, but for for me, he was just like, listen, like you could buy two of these necklaces and see how they sell, but you're also going to have to pay me for this wax I have to the mold I have to make. But if you mm-hmm. buy more, it'll just it'll cover the cost of that that piece also. But no, gotcha. any any jeweler can can make it. I mean that that'll go into their pricing model. If I'm like, hey, I want this special necklace made. Like, can you make it? 
And a lot of times they don't need, um, they don't need like a, like a mold for it because like that Anita Co necklace you sent me, like that's a chain, which you don't need a mold for. Like they'll, they'll be able to source a chain. It's a baguette diamond. Um, I can't see what the lower diamond is. It's, it's a, a marquee. Marquee, di- marquee diamond. So like they have all those materials on hand, so they wouldn't really need a mold for something like that. But then gotcha, something okay. specific and unique, like they have to make the mold for it. Right, right. And you have like that's one of the things I noticed on your from your brand is you have very distinctive, unique jewelry that I like I haven't seen on these sites like Majuri or Vry. Um, and I think like especially the the emerald snake earrings I bought from you, like. I haven't seen those anywhere and I think they're so beautiful. So I think, I don't know. I know you say that like, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel, but I do think you have like a very distinctive aesthetic. That's really pretty fine jewelry and youthful, which I, which I love. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I try to, I'm trying to like really hone in on that niche is like just kind of picking what I like and hoping people like it too. Um, but I do, I mean, all these, all these brands are doing such an incredible job. It's so, it's such a saturated market. I mean, it's really tough. And, um, I do love a lot of other brands and I do shop other brands because I think that's like the whole fun part about building a jewelry collection is shopping different brands and then just like either keeping it or honestly, you can, I've melted down old jewelry before and used it to make something new. Like you could do that or you could keep it and give it to future children or people you want to pass it down to or you just don't look at it for a while and then like six months later you're like oh I forgot I had this ring I love it so it's it's all just part of the process of like building a collection um Mm -hmm. and there's a couple things that like every girl should have in her collection which is like gold hoops I think are really standard um Mm -hmm. Everyone needs a pair of gold hoops, um, a necklace that you would kind of want to wear every day uh, and never take mm-hmm. off, which I think you have one. I think you were wearing it last time I saw you. Super cute. The yeah. little diamond one. Oh, thank, thank you. Um, and then this might be like my own thing, but I love pinky rings. I think they're so underrated. So underrated. Okay. I, think, I know it sounds ridiculous, but like right now I'm wearing – three pinky rings on one pinky and two on the other. And that's it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I that love is that. so funny. Oh they're, my gosh, I'm, I'm dying to see what they are. They're, they're super, I think pinky rings are super underrated. Honestly, they're very comfortable to wear. Like they don't really move because like your pinky is pretty important finger, but it's not the most important. Um, right. They look great next to engagement rings. Like it's just, they're so fun. Um, and like the easiest pinky ring to get is like, a little solid gold band or a diamond little diamond half band or you could get mm-hmm. like a signet ring which i think those are super fun to wear um so those are my three things i love and then i'm sure you notice i'm always wearing gold bracelets i like grew we yeah. grew up in the era that like every cool girl had like a cartier bracelet and like i like a love bracelet i could not afford those <laughs> So I think it's way more fun to like build a bracelet stack of like solid gold bracelets that you just never take off. I'm obsessed with the Cartier nail bracelet. Oh, that's cool. I would would buy that too. I would buy that too. 
I would definitely get like, that over the love bracelet. Because that's like if you know, you know type of thing. Like, because totally. it doesn't have that that insignia, and it's so dope looking and so unique. I think they also make a nail ring. They make a ring version of it too. They do. They do. It's probably it's still really like ten thousand dollars. No, I don't. Oh I don't gosh. think it's that crazy. Hold on, Cartier. I think it's. I mean, it is. It is expensive. Um, you're looking at like a thousand dollars. Okay, well that's not un. That's not. This is the problem with you, Sara. Is that you are? I'm an enabler. Me. You are. It's so bad. It's so bad. When I first met you, I was just like so minimal. Like every piece of jewelry I had, Kagan bought me for a special occasion. I don't. I don't even buy it for myself. And now I'm just like, oh my gosh. Well, you have an item I don't children. have, and I really want, which is a tennis bracelet. Oh my gosh, you. You gotta get one. It's really, I, it's, I, I'm like addicted. I, I bought another one too, and it's another bad financial. Do you wear decision. the same one that your sister wears, Courtney? Yeah, I have the bouncing diamond tennis bracelet from Diamond Au Pair. Um, and that so I think cute. is like the most special or distinctive one I have. And then I just got like a more standard one that kind of sits next to it because I like the, I like the like straight line with the like, you oh my know, God, look at you building your, building your bracelet stack. I love it. See? Like oh, it's, it's unique to you. That's the whole fun part. And like, I'm assuming you got the other tennis bracelet from another brand, right? Yeah, I did. I did. So that that's like, that's the whole fun part about jewelry shopping is just like buying one thing from one brand and then like another from another and then just like putting it together. It just looks really good. Right. Totally. Okay. So um, Chandler had to go. She had to, you know, head off to work for corporate America for big tech, but I still have you here with me um, because I just want to get into what you're super excited about that's in your inventory right now that you're loving. Um, and I just want to talk, chat more about Casita de Luz. Amazing. Um, we, I, on my Instagram, I posted a, like a poll story, like a while back asking what people were interested in seeing. Um, and a lot mm -hmm. of people, like my prices aren't crazy. I mean, they are, I do sell some expensive things. A lot of people wanted some fun, lower priced items. So I worked mm -hmm. with a vendor in Europe um, and I made these fun, colorful beaded flower necklaces. Um, I think they're my take on the childhood necklace trend that's coming to fruition. I don't really know if you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I totally like do. Yes. Chunky beads and stuff. It's super popular right now, but not completely my taste, but I, I appreciate mm -hmm. it and I admire it. Um, so that's kind of my take on something fun for the summer and something that like is an easy gift to give. So they come in a bunch of different colors. They're handmade. Um, I work with this store in Italy. They make them by hand. So it takes a while um, and the clasp is a little tiny heart. So it's super cute in case it like kind of turns on your neck. It's not an ugly clasp. Um, so that's something fun. And I'm getting a bunch new color, a bunch of new colors in stock within the next week. Um, something else that I'm super excited about. Let me look. I, I just have to say what I have. <laughs> Before you get into the next thing, I just have to say the flower necklace is so 
cute. I'm dying to get the white one. I think that's my favorite. And because I would just oh, that's wear your so much vibe. white. Yeah. That's my vibe. Um, I wish it was more it gold. <laughs> Please do. The white with the yellow or just the salt. I think the white with the yellow is like my favorite. Um, so, so cute. And I'm also obsessed with everything that you have with butterflies. I think your butterfly earrings are so cute. Your butterfly necklace. Oh, thank you. I, I, I love just everything. got a new um, butterfly in stock that's a diamond butterfly. Um, I actually think you would really like this. I'll send you a photo. I haven't – so the issue is is I, ha- I have a lot of new stuff. I just haven't had the time to shoot it and, like, put it on my Etsy page. Um, okay. So – and I was trying to find I – have, I have, like, photographer friends who, like, love to do this stuff to build their portfolio. So it's just been, like, a logistical planning thing. But I think mm-hmm. – um, I love the flower necklaces. Um, I sell these turquoise huggies on my site that I also love. Um, obviously, the are those snake- the ones with like the hanging diamonds? No, um, these ones are just like classic turquoise stone huggies. But I do want to make the one that I know which one you're referring to. It's like a turquoise stud with a chain of diamonds that's hanging from it. So I made that for myself and I get so many requests. I'm just trying to figure out how to make it at a lower cost because I want it to look really good, but it's very expensive. So it's been a little bit of a logistical challenge, but I'm learning. Um, I love that. And then I have these. Yeah, that one's definitely been on my list. It's so cute. I have these uh, snake earrings with ruby eyes, which are really fun and different. Mm -hmm. Um, And what else? Let's see. I love the snake earrings. Obviously, I bought them. I it's so funny. I I I thought about them every day for like three months, and then I was just so funny. (laughs) I texted you, and you're like, "Okay, let's do it," and I'm just like, "I'm doing it. I'm buying it." Yeah, and now so you wear them all the time. I wear them every day, totally. One of my best sellers, surprisingly, is this baguette cut sapphire and diamond huggy hoop. I sell so many of them. People love sapphires, which is – I thought people like emeralds. I think emeralds are more in trend right now than sapphires, but mm-hmm. those ones are super popular. Um, they look amazing on like a second or third piercing. I'm currently wearing mine on my second piercings. Um, okay. And then I have a bunch of new pearl jewelry coming out. So um, I created these like pearl charms that you can add to any hoop pretty much of any size. So those will be coming out soon. And then I have – I just actually made some men's stuff, which was really fun and different for me to make. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I made it with silver and white gold. One was a custom request that I got on Instagram, which I was it was super fun to like create this piece of jewelry for him. And then another one was just this brand that wanted it was like a wholesale request. So um I did that. But I think the snake earrings are my most popular item after the the flower necklaces. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I sell a lot of those. People love them. I mean they're they're classy, but they're edgy would you say, right? Totally. Um, Totally. Like from afar, you're like, oh, she's wearing a diamond huggy. And then you kind of get closer to the person. You're like, it's a snake. How fun. So I think those are great. And then people love the beaded gold bracelets. They love to give them as gifts or just like it's super in right now. Um, I use Mm -hmm. 10 karat gold beads, which people like the color. They are hollow. So I don't recommend them 
for people who are doing like crazy workouts, like planks or boxing or anything because they're hollow and they can bend. But Mm -hmm. people love them. So I sell a lot of those. And honestly, this has just been like I've learned so much from selling like what sells and doesn't sell. I personally love evil eye jewelry and I think it's very specific. So I have some evil eye bracelets on my site that people like, but it's not as popular. Like a little evil eye is like, um, they call it like a Nazareth. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's like to ward off bad juju. Oh, like, evil eye. Like an evil oh, eye. Yeah. I heard that I heard that as one word, evil eye. And so I was oh, confused. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, I get it now. I get it now. <laughs> Talking a little fast. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's good. It's good. Um. Yeah, well, I just think – I think one of the benefits of, of your brand is that you're very, like, up on – like, I I kind of am – I feel like sometimes I'm just, like – I'm, like, always two years behind the trend, and maybe it's just, like, I'm just, like – I always wait that long before investing. And so what I like about shopping from your brand is I know that, like, everything's kind of at the forefront because you're, like, in this world entrenched in it, and you have really good taste. So – um, everyone needs to check out Casita de Luz because yeah, and if, you just if have you, such cute pieces. The other thing I, I do a lot of is um, I get a lot of personal requests. So people like mm-hmm. a friend of a friend will be like, hey, my friend's looking for something like this. Can you source it or can you make it for her? So I do that a lot, like a lot. So if there's something you ever see and you like need feedback on it or like want someone to make it like I I do that pretty frequently so I like did that the other oh amazing yeah so a lot of people they'll send me inspo being like I love this earring but like obviously it's probably like what like thousands of dollars and I can try to find something similar at a better price point you are a treasure trove pun intended (laughs) um of knowledge and helping helping our listeners get great deals where can they find you you can find me on Instagram at Casita de Luz Jewelry um, or on Etsy if you just type in Casita de Luz Jewelry, my shop will come up. Um, I do want to extend a little special special discount to all your followers. Any of your listeners can type in Pop Apologists on Etsy and they'll get a little discount added to their cart. Or if they want to like... I could, I also have a business Venmo. So like a lot of times people Venmo me if they don't want to go through Etsy, um, which is actually, I highly recommend that to any small brand jewelry owner is business Venmo is so clutch. They take Wait, less. Wait, why? What's, what's the difference? They take So less. like Etsy charges me 8%, Venmo charges me about like 2% per transaction. Gotcha, gotcha. So like anytime I get a friend of a friend or someone like who wants to buy jewelry that I personally know or like, hey, can I introduce you to Sarah? Like I just send them my Venmo. It's way easier. Little trick. You have given so many pro tips, so many gems of wisdom. Another corny pen in- pun intended. <laughs> um, anything else you want to leave with our listeners before we sign off? No, just... Build your jewelry collection, have fun with it, make sure you read the description and the materials. Costume jewelry is still fine for like whatever occasion you want to wear it to, but it's worth the investment for getting fine jewelry. Absolutely. Thank you so much for extending a discount to our listeners. That's truly so, so nice. So you guys check out Casita de Luz. 
before you go down any other jewelry rabbit hole because you do have limited stock. And anyway, I'm super excited to introduce our listeners to your, to your brand. So thank you so much for coming on, Sara. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at Apologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday. Do you ever worry about running out of interesting things to say to friends when you actually get to see them? Then we've got the perfect podcast for you. I'm Eve Yohalem, and each week on Book Dreams, my co-host Julie Sternberg and I use books to explore fascinating questions, like what happened when a Harvard professor staked her reputation on an alleged gospel of Jesus's wife that turned out to be fake? And how did debut author Tom Lynn save the American Western by blowing it to bits? Are pigeons rats with wings or wonder birds? And what's the who, what, when, where, how, and especially why of books bound in human skin? Recent and upcoming Book Dreams highlights include conversations with Booker Prize-winning author Marlon James, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Katherine Schultz, and Merlin scholar Dr. Laura Campbell. You can listen to Book Dreams wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists, owners of the therapy group, and hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast. Every week, we bring you a new episode where we dive into therapeutic topics like inner child work, dating anxiety, family dynamics, relationships, and burnout. Making them more relatable and understandable, leaving the psychobabble behind. We address the things you've been dying to ask your therapist but don't know how and work to help you stop shooting all over yourself with the expectations society can put on us. Tune in every Monday to Shrink Chicks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow along and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Prepare to learn all about you, because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself.